0: Hello and welcome to Broadband. Here at Broadband, we live by the philosophy that one needs other human beings to teach them how to be human. Our guide for today on this journey of communal actualization is and Nisa, an entrepreneur and the founder of the innovative nonprofit organization, ReFood. ReFood is an environmental solution tackling the massive food waste epidemic with an added humanitarian value. Who doesn't like a win-win? I want to set the stage for this interview by shining the spotlight on three main points of focus for our dialogue. The first being Medium and her unique human journey. Next, I want to feed my curiosities, and hopefully yours, on the differences between a for- and non-profit organization, what the pain points might be, and how they track their wins. And finally, I'll provide you, the listener, with useful tools to aggressively tackle the food waste problem. I'll ask Medium to share some best practices to exercise mindfulness and reduce your carbon footprint. So Mediam, when I was doing my research on you, I stumbled upon your TED talk when you shared some nightmarish statistics about food waste, and you decided to take the initiative of tackling this massive food waste phenomenon in Kuwait by founding ReFood. Detail the journey of ReFood. What concept are you selling and how did you come up with that concept?
1: So ReFood is a project that I started right after completing my MBA and coming back to Kuwait. It's a project that I wanted to start as a communal thing. It's a project that I really believed in. And it's something that I wanted to start to give me a chance to express the change that I wanted to create. So there is that like personal fulfillment kind of aspect to it. So when I first started ReFood, I wanted to do something regarding the environment. I wanted to do something to create some sort of awareness regarding climate change to create that perspective. um, We're also like out of touch with the system that we are part of. So when we waste food at home, we don't really realize the impact that this wasted food has. Like our concept of it is kind of, purely religious, that is this is like food and we shouldn't waste it because God doesn't like us wasting food. So I kind of wanted to link that back in where does the food waste go when the food when we waste food, it goes to this landfill. And this landfill is actually polluting the environment in like extremely destructive ways. So I kind of wanted to create that loop, that circle that this food Is actually going to be the food in our stomach. It's going to be our health. It's going to be the air that we breathe. It's all very connected and we can't really disconnect from it.
0: Fair enough. Awesome. And so what is the business model of refood? How are you tackling this issue?
1: So Refood today offers companies, all all FNB, all FMCG companies, a solution to their last part of the supply chain, which is managing the excess food and the near expiry food. So we offer that to companies. So companies are glad to provide us with their near expiries and their excess. They would much rather it be given to people that will not cannibalize their sales, but also they want the PR side of it. They want to be responsible for that. They want to show that they're being responsible for their wasted foods. And that's something beautiful from my opinion, that these companies are motivated to do something, even though they really don't have to. They could be easily just like selling it. And a lot of companies are just selling the food to whoever it takes them, So giving it out to refood and making sure that it never goes to waste. That to me is like a very beautiful concept.
0: Okay. So what are some of the pain points? I mean, I can easily tell you that your initiative and your company is very unique in Kuwait. I've never seen a company similar to it. So I'm assuming maybe the government isn't familiar with how the protocol is with dealing with a company like yours and how to even initiate it. So did you have any pain points starting out?
1: of course every like every every project has a lot of pain points in the starting and we still have a lot of pain points today the things that i would see a lot of like room for improvement is in terms of a lot of legislation i would say in terms of regulating non companies, in terms of incentivizing people to start social businesses and to start these non-profit companies. Like for example, when we first started, we hit a stop. We hit a stop because we couldn't find the space to operate from. Rent is too expensive and we were doing it purely as a volunteer project. At that time, it was just like literally a non-profit company on paper and it was a volunteer run operation in real life. So not having that space could have easily stopped us and we stopped for a while. However, like fighting to get some space It was like there were no resources invested in it, but it took a lot of grit and perseverance to find the right channel to provide us with a location to operate from. And thankfully and fortunately, we still operate from that place today, even though this is like something that strictly is unregulated within the governmental scope. So there should be some sort of regulation, some sort of facilitation to encourage companies to start such projects. And especially, this is a project of national interest. We're reducing food waste. We're trying to create something sustainable within the environment and within that industry. We have an economic, humanitarian, environmental and a huge social impact. So I would say that the governments in Kuwait investing in such projects or providing at least land and resources for such projects is not a bad idea at all
0: definitely i completely agree with you i mean i think there should be real estate available i mean in terms of warehouse and we have so much space already in Kuwait i'm very surprised that you had to struggle to get that
1: we still do we still do there's a struggle like going on it's and i see a lot of projects and a lot of other nonprofits are also struggling with that securing land especially like in Kuwait the government gives a lot of like provisions to different companies but when it comes to the environmental or nonprofits or those with a social return or like a triple bottom line we have to compete with the rest of Kuwait. So um, it's very difficult to reach that level. When you don't have as much resources as they do, because people are not interested in really just investing in nonprofits and people see it more of like a voluntary role rather than a professional role.
0: So, I mean, you said something very interesting. You said that you are now being compared not only to other nonprofits, but to all other companies in Kuwait. And, you know, businesses usually measure success by tracking and maximizing profitability and revenue. How does a social enterprise like ReFood track its growth?
1: Um, We have our own KPIs as well. At Food specifically, we measure the number of packages that we provide, the number of beneficiaries that we have registered with us, and the number of volunteers, and the number of companies supporting us. So we have these measures to actually measure our year-to-year growth. And thankfully, it's growing despite the lack of resources to actually expand. It is growing and it is expanding in a very humble way.
0: And I mean, you say low in resources, but, you know, a person like me who likes to spin things around will say, you know, you have a very lean company. Uh, One of the innovative things that you've done is you have a product called Reft, right? So RFD. Can you please explain the concept of Reft to the audience?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Reft is a concept that I created to actually back up refood. Reft in Arabic means support. So I wanted that to be a support pillar to refood. So the concept of it is a one-for-one concept. So Ruff started out as a food subscription box. So basically customers can actually buy this food subscription box, regular customers, and for each box sold, we would provide a food package. So we create these revenue streams because we can, or technically we're not allowed to collect donations immediately. So we sell that these kind of like subscription services to help these families on a more sustainable uh, way.
0: And so there is a there's that environmental aspect of this food isn't going to the waste facilities. But now there's a humanitarian aspect as you know, you're also giving a box to a family in need. And and it's really cool because it sounds like you're you're pivoting really quickly uh, to find and generate all these revenue streams. So you mentioned volunteers and innovation is not limited to products. It also applies to processes, right? So I was watching one of your interviews and you mentioned that you had 1,800 volunteers in 2019 alone. I mean, you're a very lean organization with limited resources, right? So how did you ensure that both the volunteer and the supplier onboarding process was working for you?
1: It's all about processes. So we have volunteers that want to take more responsibilities. So we did create, um, we created a volunteering system. And that's how I built Free Food, actually. It's through different tiers of volunteering. So if you wanted to be a regular volunteer, book whenever you can. Yeah, you're absolutely welcome to do that. And you're welcome anytime. If you wanted to hold more responsibility and you wanted to be trained, I would, we would invest in these volunteers and we would train them and have them hold certain responsibilities. So we had like four levels of volunteers. And the third level was a managing level. So once you're a managing volunteer, you actually come to our team meetings and you become a part of the voice of change at food, And that was a very beautiful thing that helped establish refood. So all these people that were part of the managing team, they made refood an essential part of their lives. So that created a culture of volunteering within refood that was very beautiful.
0: Right, Right. I mean, in general, charities and nonprofits, Don't really make it fun to give back. And I mean, it feels good, obviously, to give back, but it also kind of feels like a chore at times. I mean, have you found the secret sauce? I mean, are these volunteers coming and saying, hey, it's fun to work with ReFood?
1: I think so. I think so. We've had volunteers with us for like consistent five years. So it has become part of their culture, part of their lifestyle to come to refood and to volunteer. And we see a lot of people now volunteering in Kuwait. They're really investing in creating a volunteer culture. That's what the government is really investing in. And I do see it prospering. I do see that people do really care about volunteering, even if it's just a phase of their life. To experience that giving back kind of thing, it's it's a need that's unfulfilled by other kind of activities that you have. So it's different than going to work. It's different than like being with your family. It's different than donating. It's being there to help with your time and your energy as a human being, giving back to your community and bonding with other people who share these values. I think that's invaluable.
0: I mean, that's a huge success story that the fact that now you're a company that stands on its own and pivots on a dime, but also started on the volunteering culture that you instilled in everyone. So- well done. That's definitely a, one huge successful leap. So amazing. Uh, you know, I work for an oil and gas company and we have several social impact committees and initiatives. You know, I would say that it's normal for big companies to have that. Does that make every corporation with a social impact committee a social enterprise?
1: Well, a social enterprise is a business that's committed to creating a change that's a, a social change. So, they're just not just committed to the profit bottom line, they're committed to the social bottom line as well. So that doesn't really make them a social enterprise since their main goal is, uh, well, generating wealth and growing the company. However, it does make them a more socially responsible company. So when they have that corporate social responsibility, even though a lot of companies have just shifted their PR teams to CSR teams and call it a day.
0: All right. So, but what is a nonprofit organization exactly? I mean, to me the concept of an organization existing without any profit doesn't make any sense. Do I have the the definition wrong just by the nature of the name?
1: Well, it's a non well we're a non-profit company. We're not a non-profit organization. I think that would be classified as a non-governmental organization, but a non-profit company, we're a company that runs as a company and we do generate revenue, we do generate profits. However, all the profits are reinvested. In the company to create and to grow and to improve the resources and the operations that it has So it exists to serve a certain goal. It doesn't mean that it doesn't create uh, wealth within that process. However, wealth is not the main goal. The main goal is to have whatever it is that is set as the main goal. So in terms of refood, the goal is to reduce food waste and to have a, a great social impact, environmental, economic, and humanitarian impact. So that's the goal. Generating wealth is a way to do it within a capitalistic system because there is no other way to do it within a capitalistic system except run it as a company. So that's just, I guess, modified capitalism. I guess
0: you're not a charity uh, and you're not a for-profit organization. You're a nonprofit right in the middle. So you probably experience the best of both worlds when it comes to that. So like, can a nonprofit ever compete with a for-profit organization or company, I should say, in terms of influence, market share, economic impact, and just overall gravitas?
1: I don't know if any nonprofit company exceeds um, the values of uh, for-profit companies. However, I can tell you that I know a lot of nonprofit companies that have switched to for-profit companies. And a huge one that works in the food, the waste sector is Copia, which is a startup that started in Boston, Massachusetts. And they have shifted to completely like for-profits. And I think just to attract, just to attract investors unfortunately they did, or they were forced to do that. It doesn't mean that the company is not interested in having a triple bottom line. It's not, it doesn't mean that they don't have a social impact. They do, and they still have that, but it's not just about the profit. It goes beyond the profit. They're a social business. So I do think that social businesses definitely can compete. And we have seen that. We have seen that in like Tom's shoes and a lot of other businesses that have been able to compete on an international level as a social business. So I do think there's a lot of hope for social businesses.
0: I mean, so with Copia, you have kind of an example where if you can't beat them, join them. But then you mentioned Tom's and that's huge. I mean, so just because you're a nonprofit doesn't mean you don't generate millions and millions of dollars.
1: Tom's is not a nonprofit, but it is a social business. So you don't necessarily like have to start a nonprofit. Like maybe starting a nonprofit is not the way to go. Just start a social business, a business that you can operate that has a great social impact and great social value and completely like offsets their negative impact of consumption.
0: Hey guys, this is the part of the podcast where people usually tell you to buy this product or subscribe to this service, but we don't have any sponsors yet. So we'll sell ourselves instead. We have four simple asks. One, please subscribe if you haven't already. Two, share the podcast. Share it with your friends, share it with your family, and share it with a stranger. Start a conversation. Three, check out the show notes. You can find all the references that we've already made and are about to make on there. And four, engage with us on Instagram and email. Enjoy the rest of the show. Have you seen that it was difficult to attract like bright minds and competitive people to work for your company?
1: Um, The strategy that I had for recruitment at Free Food, and it was through a lot of like trial and error, is invest in your people. So when I see like a rising star of a volunteer, um, I actually make a lot of effort to make sure that person stays at Tree Food. And once they graduate from college or whatever they're doing, they actually hold a position at Tree Food, whether they're just an intern at the beginning and then they develop into becoming an employee. And we've had a lot of students that have turned into employees. And these are the most sustainable employees that we have. It's very different than hiring someone right out of like recruitment websites. They're here because they're intrinsically motivated to be here. They came here as volunteers. They want to do this because they believe in doing this. Providing them this job as a way of living is just accentuating their life and their interest in this project.
0: Yes, you, you, you grow them in-house and they already drank the Kool-Aid, so they're sold. So here's an interesting dynamic. Uh, so if, if you work for Goldman Sachs and you're the CEO of Goldman Sachs, and you have a really good year, you're going to get a bonus worth millions of dollars. And you're the CEO of a nonprofit, uh, and you have a good year. And if you give yourself a bonus of a million dollars, you'll probably get ostracized, and and people will think you're greedy, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, is that another stigma that you always have to fight, that you have to kind of be sure that, oh, I'm doing something socially, that I have to kind of limit my financials?
1: That's unfortunately, yes. And that's something that I personally struggled with a lot, especially because the project started as a volunteer run operation. It was completely overexhausting exhausting my schedule and my timeline, but I struggled to put myself on the payroll. And I only did it last year or the year before, I think. By the end of 2019, just because when it comes to resources at a nonprofit, we're almost always short on resources. So you like I don't want to be a burden on the company, even though I need to live as well. So having that, like even me personally like overcoming that is a journey for my development as well on a personal and professional level. So We don't really get motivated by these bonuses. I do pay myself a salary to live a decent life. Definitely below market value though.
0: I definitely understand that concept of, you know, you kind of, even if there's not an actual salary cap, you kind of have to put a salary cap on yourself to feed your baby, right? And I mean, you have to make sure that your baby grows and thrives. But with every business venture, whether it be brimming with success or riddled with failure, comes lessons learned. What's the biggest takeaway or lessons learned from ReFood's early days?
1: So there are a lot of lessons to be learned. And the lessons that I have obtained is that always work on financial sustainability. That's not something that should be taken lightly, even if you're just a volunteer run operation. Financial sustainability is absolutely key. People, they love to give, but if you don't make it a part of their lifestyle, they will only do it like once every blue moon. So that doesn't really materialize into much. Another lesson that I have, I feel like we hear about this thing called like work life balance and we aspire to have that work life balance. When you're in a business or when you're running a business, you should be okay with not having balance for a while and learn how to manage that because sometimes work does take over your life sometimes you do have to do like 10 14 hour work days and it's all right as long as it's only for like a while or when you see like the long-term impact of it um It's not something that should be normalized in your life, but stop trying to seek balance in every day. Yes, you're trying to be balanced overall, fulfilling all your needs, your human needs and your work needs. But I feel like this work-life balance kind of is a myth because you can't have it all the time, even though you desperately seek it all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, the start of any new chapter in your life is always kind of a transition. And during that transition, it's okay to not have balance. I think it's also really important to have a community around you, right? Like whether it be your network, whether it be your support group, family and friends. How important is your support group to your sanity uh, of having to work so much and so often?
1: I think the support group is like the single most important element in my life, honestly. Well, at one point I realized that it's not just about having friends. It's about having people who are going through similar experiences and who can share your pain and your gains as well. Because if your support group are people, for example, for me, if it's people who work in corporate, I can't relate to their work and they can't relate to my field. So it's a huge disconnect. But when you have people in your group that are going through similar struggles and regularly go through these struggles and you help each other out because I don't know if it's just me or if it's a human thing, but I don't like to think about my problems. I like to think about other people's problems and help them fix their problems, maybe in a way of trying to avoid my own storm of thinking. And it's easier to analyze like what other people are doing it's because the humans are so curious. I do realize that's very important, like seeing their pains and kind of empathizing with that pain.
0: Let's work on the uh, dumpster proofing, right? I mean, we want to salvage these foods, right? So what best practices can our listeners take to ensure they're not wasting food?
1: We have this huge culture. I call it the Sheda'wa culture. Like Sheda'wa normalizes everything. The point of Sheda'wa is to normalize everything and to be okay with everything and to kind of be desensitized to everything. So the Sheda'wa culture really impacts our day-to-day behaviors. Um, when I don't want to like... For example, you use a plastic bottle and somebody offers me a plastic bottle and you're like, yeah, adi. it's all about that culture. You're dismissing people's beliefs and values. And not only are you not taking them seriously, but you're also displaying a lack of awareness when you do that. So I really want us to be mindful of our Shidawas. Even when we purchase something and when we consume, being a mindful consumer means that when you buy something, you realize that what you're going to use out of that product and what's going to go to the landfill out of that product and how that is going to affect the environment and you and the air quality that we all are breathing. So I feel like just having that awareness, honestly, is key.
0: And, you know, I've been guilty of contributing to the throwaway culture, to maybe, as you mentioned, the Shtawa culture, which translates to, it's not a big deal. Like use the plastic utensils. Ah, It's not a big deal, right? Or you buy a two for one, you throw away one. It's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like there's 7 billion people in the world. If every single one of us had that mentality, we'd be really screwed. Um, So what's an important message that you want our audience to take away from our discussion?
1: Consumption behaviors, I think that's the thing that we need to be most mindful about. We tend to be desensitized just because of the way that we live in the capitalistic society. We buy things and we don't think about like all these disposable items that we purchase. We don't really think about what their impact and how they get to affect us and the future generations and the world. Don't be fooled by companies who just say that they're like, they call it greenwashing, right? These companies, they come in and they do their great CSR programs and they make you think that this is a sustainable product. It's not, it's just the same old products with just better packaging and like greener packaging just to appeal to you, just because that's what the consumer wants today is a greener product. Like realize what you're actually throwing away. So what you're actually consuming and what you're actually throwing away at the end of the day, how much does your trash amounts to and where that trash is going. So we have to kind of create that culture and create these values and stick to them to create the change. Because I believe in a bottom-up approach.
0: Beautiful. I mean, but you live the proof with your company. I mean, the people you hire have all been volunteers. So bottom-up is the way to go. Uh, So how can we support you and ReFood? How can we get out there and support the initiative and make sure it grows?
1: Um, You can follow us on social media. You can volunteer with us. We have volunteering opportunities all the time. Seats opening up daily. We have our REFT program so you can financially support buying the products and whatever we launch. So that really goes out to help the families that we're working with and just don't waste food.
0: Right on. I love that. Thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for joining us here on the show. And we we can't wait until we get to see you again. Hopefully next time we'll be in person in Kuwait.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this.
0: This podcast would not be possible without your support. So please subscribe to our podcast, share it with your friends and family, check out the show notes for any references made and engage with us on Instagram and email. Thank you.